Hey, everybody. Welcome to Be Significant. This is Matt Rogers. I'm sitting here with Beth Cook, and, and we have a great, we have a two guests for you, a duo today, husband and wife, Paul and Julie uh, Lamott, um, who run a psychology and wellness um, agency and, and clinic in Australia. Uh, Paul's been a friend of mine for 13 years in the coaching world, and uh, boy, do those two have a lot to share. But with the theme of Australia, I know, Beth, you're a world traveler, probably one of the great travel friends that, that Karen and I have in our life. Um, any big trips coming up for you? Any plans for some travel? I don't, but I know that, um, I mean, again, I think domestically right now, I'm just sticking to it. I, I went to Costa Rica earlier in the year. Um, and then last year, I think I talked about it before, but Greece, which was great, but there are, I have quite a few friends that are reaching out and saying, you know, you haven't been here in a while. And so that's in Europe. And then I also have a friend that's in Singapore that came to visit me for work. I mean, she just happened to be in Chicago for work. And so I got to reconnect with her. So never been to Singapore. Um, so that's something I would like to do as well. Um, so I got to start putting some things on the the books, but I know you and your family are getting ready to go to your first Italiano trip. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Boy, we got we got a big one coming up. So probably by the time this podcast comes out, we'll already have been back and and have we'll have some great stories to tell, hopefully. But we're excited. We're going to be in Rome and Florence and Venice for about two weeks. So it's kind and of a celebration. International. I know uh, Karen's traveled. Yeah. Europe before, but how about you? This is my first time getting to Europe. So I've, you know, kind of the, this hemisphere, I've been to some of the countries, some of the island countries in Mexico and things like that. But, you know, I'm always the last one. My, my kids will, will do everything 20 years before I ever did it, you know? So, it's but good. yeah, we're, we're excited. We, we're, and it's cool because we're doing it. It's through Disney, you know, it's not, you know, big costumes and Mickey Mouse, but Disney kind of puts this together and we're really excited just about the security of it and the organization of it and all the things we get to see and kind of go at our own pace, but we're going to have professional travelers with us to make sure we don't stumble and fall and get lost. Well, you might still, I mean, again, I did a handful of years ago, my mom and I were doing a lot of traveling and she got a little bit excited about the travels and, and, um, Stumbling and fall was a part of it. That's a story for another day. Actually, <laughs> that happened to be, which will be a great segue to our guest, but that was on a trip where I went with my mom and we went to Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. And oh, that's great. That 21 day trip. And I specifically, I went with a girlfriend of mine and then a lady we had met on a cruise that was my mom's age. So it was the four of us. And, but the trip was specifically for, um, elderly people. And we did that mainly so that there was a lot of free time so that we can go off and do our own thing. Yeah. But there was a whole bunch of, um, at one point when we had a stop, we tried to get back on the bus, my friend and I, and the bus driver said, this is the wrong bus. You're not, you're on the tour. And we're like, no, no, we're on a station. He's like, no, no, this is not your tour. This is a different age group. And we're like, it's my mom's up there. And our friend is up right. there. <laughs> Hilarious. But you didn't yeah. look like you were 65, 70 years old. Is that what they were, he was trying to tell you? Because at that point, gosh, I had to be in my 30s. So right. was, but it was great. Like it was like a whole bus full of grandparents. Right. Even though my mom, she's an older mom, but um they all wanted me to go out and do like Beth, go bungee jumping from the bridge, you know, go, you know, like all that. They're like, we'll live through you. Tell us about it, you know. And I was like, no, you know, and so, but we did get to do in New Zealand, our guide at the time was a, her brother was the sommelier of the year. And as you know, I like wine. And so my mom didn't really drink, but you know, she'd have a glass when she was with me, but not, and she never was used to like um, sipping. She would right. always, so I had to call her Shooter McGavin off of that fun Happy Gilmore movie, I think it was. Yeah. And, uh, she enjoyed a few glasses, too many, I would say. And then we went on a hike afterwards and I tried to tell her, why don't you just sit back? This is a big hike up the volcano. And she's like, no, I want to no, go. Ferry isn't having any of that. She was not having it. So she strummed up the hill and I was like, it's rocky. It's cliff eyes. This is where I have to tell my siblings that mom died because, you know, <laughs> right. I'm watching, watching. And then we got up to a big grassy knoll 
gorgeous. I was like, okay, I'm good. She's not going anywhere. And then just, you know, one foot in front of the other, she took a dive and luckily grassy knoll, soft land, but totally dove like head in, you know, face in the ground. Right face she's laughing so hard because she was very relaxed and that's when I had to play the mom it's like okay you're done you're done hiking you're gonna stay here for the rest of the trip and we'll be back we'll come back and get you you know but we had such a great time and good memories but I loved Australia New Zealand Fiji. I mean just beautiful country I can I can get why our guests coming up Julian Paul, like it's a love affair. I mean, I was literally thinking, can I how can I get a visa here? But there was like sheep shearing and stuff. And I was yeah. like, no, not my jam, but really an amazing, amazing trip. And that's an amazing country as well. Well, that's great. I that gets me even more motivated to go on our trip. And and it's funny because as we transition into our conversation with Julian Paul today, um, I kept thinking as I was preparing for Julian Paul about Carrie Oranger, our, our wine expert how you know she, she she told us in the interview if you want to get into making wine great but it's not a great idea you know because it's probably going to be six years before a bottle of your wine ever gets to market six years minimum Definitely. you know yeah. and and in our upcoming conversation with julian paul they kind of said the same thing about moving to australia you know it sounds great but once you have to understand what you have to go through just to get there and live there, you know, most people would would give up. But um, Julie and Paul are an amazing couple. Um, I coached with Paul at the University of Laverne. Paul was an All-American at Cal Lutheran and 25 years ago as a basketball player. And then he played professionally in Australia. So this was kind of a homecoming for him. And, and I was really interested to see, to hear, was it a true homecoming or was it a different world, you know, 25 years later? So um, to hear two people that moved to Australia, they have five kids. They took four of them with them. They had a, 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 an older child that was going into college and she stayed and they moved their family 4,000 miles to a brand new country, a new continent. And, and since then, there was such a need for mental health experts and clinicians that they've now opened psychology and wellness clinics in the Adelaide Henley Beach area of South Australia. And I thought their story was amazing. Um, the work they're doing to deal with the magnitude of mental health disorders um, in the country, um, I thought was remarkable. So I don't know, I, I thought I, I enjoyed every second of it. How'd you feel about them? Anything you wanna th throw at our audience? Fantastic. Uh, I think it's, I love the story and their adventurous spirit of kind of like, it's almost like that. I call it Jiminy Cricket. Cause you know, I relate since you're going on a Disney trip, I right. really, I think Disney's fantastic. Um, and that Pinocchio Jiminy Cricket is like your conscious. And I think they had this whisper of Australia, Australia, Australia throughout many years for different reasons in their life. And I think they finally decided to pull the trigger and boy, when they pulled it, the world changed pandemic wise, right. the need for what they do and hearing that in their story and in their interview is just, it's inspiring. And it reminds folks out there, if you have that whisper that you should be doing something, don't be afraid to check it out. And yeah. that's, I mean, you're going to love this interview. Yeah. Here's, here's your, uh, Here's your home welcoming gift, COVID. That's a nice, nice present they received. So it's it, it's a great story. Enjoy, everybody. Here's Julie and Paul Lamont. Hello, Paul and Julie Lamont. How are you? Well, hi, Matt and Beth. How are we doing today? We're Good doing great. Here. I mean, it's the evening here, so you're just starting your Sunday, it looks like, right? Yes. That's right. Is it a beautiful day in Melbourne? We don't have the well, views you guys have. Yeah. We're in Adelaide. So we are um, about an hour west of Melbourne. Okay. And then we're in a suburb of Adelaide, actually called Merino. And yes, we're very fortunate that it's coastal here. And um, it's the winter here. So it is cold and windy. But um, it's very similar to, to Southern California weather, actually. And it's very nice in that regard. Since I'm coming from Chicago, um, cold and windy is all relative. Because I'm like, really? <laughs> yes, it's very much like Chicago weather right now. Is it really? Um, because I kind of live on 
a cliff. It's just howling winds day in and day out. And it is, it's kind of nice. Oh, that's perfect. 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 But let's, let's not mistake it for a Chicago winter. Yeah, let's not. It's still beautiful. I, I've always explained to people and they say, well, you know, what's cold? And I'll, I'll talk about Montana because we've spent time there, but um, I've been to Chicago quite a bit. And, you know, I always say, you know, I could put on as many layers as I wanted and the wind still felt like it was cutting right through my body at all times, yep. no matter what I tried. Yeah. And that, that was always the thing I remembered about Chicago and when it's cold there and the wind. Yes, absolutely. Well, we, we, we're just real thankful you guys are here and, and you know, doing this on your Sunday morning. Um, I want to dive into your thoughts, your experiences, your advice on dealing with individuals that are struggling with mental health issues. You know, I've got a 14 and a 10 year old, you know, so what they're going through, you know, I, I want to hit all that and I want to dive into that. But I first want to get in to your guys' story because I think it's amazing um, uh, that you decided five, five, six years ago to take five, your five kids to Australia and up you know uproot your life and and to, to go on this journey i think it's remarkable um tell our audience how that came about and what kind of conversations did you have as a couple mm. and with your kids before you you pulled that trigger that's yeah that's kind of a loaded question how it mm. came about you know paul and i have moved a lot over the years whether that's pursuing different career opportunities or coaching positions for Paul. So we actually really enjoy the moving. Um, now, most of our moving was throughout the US and Australia had always been this outside concept. Um, Paul spent some time in Australia playing basketball after college. And so he had kind of fond memories of it. And there had been a couple points in our life where we teased some ideas. Um, but the timing, you know, especially having five kids, timing's really important. And so this just happened to be a time where uh, our, our older kids had graduated high school and moved on to university. And our three younger children were kind of at that space of entering middle school. And we said, this is probably a now or never thing. And we started putting out some feelers and pretty quickly had a company recruit me to come to South Australia to train psychologists in um, Gottman Method for couples therapy, because that was an area that I was specializing in. And um, yeah, we had a lot of conversations about, is this the right time? Is this the right idea um, at the time? Because this was pre-COVID, we moved in 2018. Our idea was home's always a plane right away. Yeah. So we can go back and visit friends, family. Um, we talked to our kids and we actually brought four of them with us. And one stayed in the States because she was in university and um, had a partner and decided that's what she wanted to do. So then that made this decision even a little more challenging for us because right. now we were leave, leaving one behind. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we, you know, once we put our mind to it and did a lot of research, it felt like this was going to be a good move for us and a lot of um there's a lot of opportunity and we like a good risk mm. <laughs> <laughs> well to the, to the right of you is a big risk right there so let's, yes. let's be honest Con confirmed yes on all accounts. <laughs> that's, where, that's where it all started i was like if i can tame this guy yeah. i can handle anything you're you're a dream julie Yes. You've got a That's direct all, shot to heaven when you're ready. Resume. She just says, look what I did with this guy. <laughs> Nothing seems that scary anymore. <laughs> how, how is now when you look back, if let's say my wife and I called you tomorrow and said, Hey, we're moving to Australia. We're gonna we're gonna come live next to you. What what's the one or two things that you wish somebody would have told you about that journey before you made it? Is there oh my couple pieces of advice that you'd give to somebody before they decide to be an expatriate and yeah I, else. we did a lot of research it's uh, hard yeah i don't think people it's not just make the decision and go right there was 18 months of visa applications and learning primarily by julie 
And at any point, it could have gone sideways. And I think that was sort of what happened is we just kept expecting it to go sideways and then we would figure it out from there, but it just kept progressing. So finally, when you get to the point where they go, okay, we'd like to have you here. And you've been discussing it for 18 months and then you're stuck with that decision to really right. go or to stay. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it's really hard. I've had a few people since we've moved down here inquire about it. And once I explain to them what it takes, none of them end up following through. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's very simple. It's, you know, you want to be a Navy SEAL. There's what you have to do. Never mind. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's different. Not that we're comparing this to being a Navy SEAL. No. <laughs> But, but, you know, the idea plus the reality yeah. are, are, are very different. Um, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, I, I think probably the thing that has been the most challenging for us is thinking we were moving from Western culture to Western culture, English speaking to English speaking. Right. We're from America. America's powerful. People like Americans. No, they don't. Uh, <laughs> There wasn't a parade when you landed? No. no. <laughs> and given, given the fact that we were moving here when the political climate in the U.S. had gotten so heated, the way that they welcomed Americans had started to change. Right. And that is where a lot of people have said, yeah, it didn't used to be like this. There wasn't this anti-American sentiment prior to the, the political climate changing. And so we couldn't have anticipated how much of an outsider we would feel like. Mm. Are, you, are you sure you don't have a doctorate in political science? That was well done. <laughs> I, I think it might be a requirement. I think so too. That was great. <laughs> so I when I lived abroad too, again, I want to say Barack Obama, really everyone loved. <laughs> and so just, I mean, charismatic type leader. Um, and that whenever I would either go, they would go to the US. And so it was either Barack Obama, when I told him Chicago is Michael Jordan, even still has yep. last um, or yep. the Bulls, right? I mean, just constantly, those are the things that you're known for. And if you kind of stick in those lanes, or I just say Canada. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, you yep. all the time. Environment just to manage some of those um, issues on a personal safety when it got a little bit risky, you know, you're like, Ooh. That's funny because they actually, if they, when people approach you here and ask you where they're, you're from, they tend to ask if you're from Canada because Canadians get really upset if they are asked if they're from America, where Americans are like, whatever. So they right. err on the side of caution right. and just start like, are you from Canada? And we're like, no, America. They're like, okay, we just didn't want to upset you by asking. Exactly. And, and Paul, I, you know, I don't know if I'll, I'll, I'll probably forget to put this. We'll, we'll do an intro before we, before the interview, you played professional basketball in Australia, you know, at coming out of college, but it was, it's been 20 plus years since you lived there was, yeah. did you feel like the transition was easier for you than Julie and the kids? Or did you feel like it was a completely different place than it was 20 some years earlier? Two completely different experiences almost no relative experience whatsoever. Really? Um, as a matter of fact, the only things that I can identify are, again, there's lots of positives. We'll get into all of that. But, you know, there would be some negative sentiment from time to time. Um, but that was almost more just kind of a, yeah, that's your thing, right? right. And, and now it, it really is more of a, a, a little bit more of a, a concept, a national concept about, mm. um, you know, immigrant sentiment. And that's something that they're, they're working through. Um, being a basketball player, I was in a small rural town, you know, that's a, just a, I was a young person. I was allowed to make mistakes and do those things. So yeah, totally different experience moving now. And you've had so much more life experience. You're a, you're a father, you're a husband, and um, we're trying to grow a business that was never the plan when we right. moved here either way. Right. So yeah, completely different experiences. Um, it is interesting though, that a couple of my closest friends here are people that I played basketball with in college. Cool? Here. And, and it's just so interesting how, you know, my best friends are still my roommates from college and you really don't 
understand sometimes how enormous the impact of those short little years right. are on the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think Beth and I would both agree on, on that. What, um, when you look at your experience so far, and, and you've, you guys have built this business and you've had to grow it so fast. What are you seeing on a day-to-day basis with the mental health concerns in Australia? And, and what are some of the big causes and effects that you're seeing? Yeah, I think um, right now we're really starting to see the lasting impacts of COVID. I think we saw the acute impacts of COVID during those years. And now you're starting to see people almost feel like they're coming out of a bit of a fog and thinking like, what have I been doing? I've isolated myself. A lot of people having problems reintegrating into, you know, just kind of that mainstream society and wanting to socialize and this, this fear of socializing, being around people that, that has impacted a lot of people. I also think um, where I'm really seeing a lot is with children and adolescents. I think that they are just really struggling right now. And um, it, feels like this is different than how it's been previously. I think you have these kids who have had all the impacts of COVID, but then they also have all of this other influx of information, social media, you know, the the phones, the technology, the bullying culture that is 24 seven because we have phones and social media. And so I think those are really prominent themes. and I would say that COVID, COVID has impacted that a lot in that I, I work with a lot of eating disorders and eating disorders really became rampant during COVID. People with eating disorders really struggled. Substance abuse, um, you know, we had some different lockdowns uh, in Australia. I'm not, I'm not sure what your guys' experience was in the States. And, you know, in South Australia, we were much luckier than like Melbourne where the lockdowns were serious. You, you were at home, you were not leaving. You had one hour to do some exercise. Kids were just having to try to figure out online school while parents were trying to work from home. And I just think that the toll that that has taken on everyone is is hard. And I also think people are reevaluating their futures. Right. What now? Life is so different. And I, you know, we realize now it's not going back. There is no back to normal. It's what's our new normal and how do we cope with it? Right. And then you throw in all of these financial stressors and people are feeling the pressure. It's it's so funny. I, I live in a cul-de-sac with people that we love, neighbors that we love. We're right next door to them. We, we had a block party just for 4th of July. Was there was everybody outside the street. And it was like the Marvel movie where we felt like somebody snapped their fingers and all of a sudden we came back five years later. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the kids, everybody's kids are like, four or five inches taller, yeah. you know, it's like they've grown into these young adults. They were, it felt like they were just babies the other day. And I, I'm, I struggled just acclimating into that, you know, having 25, 30 people and communicating again and being close again. And uh, it was just, it was so weird. It felt like it was straight out of a movie that we'd, mm-hmm. we'd lost time. Are you, yeah. are people feeling that too? Absolutely. Absolutely. This sense of lost time is a big, a big theme because so many things stopped. And, and if you focus on even how I was talking about young people, what we're seeing here is those were some really important years, you know, high school, university, and all of a sudden it's like their graduations are canceled. Their formals are canceled. All of their events, their big events that they've looked forward to, you know, people going to university and now it's just online and they can't go in person and struggling and drop out, you know, the, the rates of dropping out got so much higher. And so I think it's just lost experiences, feeling stuck in time and then going now what? Right. Right. Well, you have an entire generation of young people who've lived this very, important developmental cycle of their life in a way that nobody before had ever lived. And so now they're out of that and now they're in their early 20s and they're trying to navigate this social construct that they didn't really get a full experience of in high school. And now that's creating 
a struggle. And the other thing is you've got the kids who are in middle school and in elementary school now going through high school and the people in front of them didn't live it the same way as every other generation prior. Right. So they don't really have anything to look at, right? Mm. And it causes a lot of distortion. It causes a lot of disruption. It's tough on the administrators and the teachers because it's all new ground to them. And it, I think what it's created is a lot of just reactions. There's just not even enough time to get ahead of it. Right. It's just fires that are trying to be put out. And um, it's going to be a challenge for a long time. I, I would also add that not just to focus on the the younger generation, but what I'm seeing like with the adults and then the parents of that younger generation is burnout. Mm -hmm. Lots of people leaving their careers, finding new careers. I think especially people in Australia that were deemed essential workers. So you have you you know your medical professionals, all of your allied health, your teachers. We have we have those professionals leaving industry their industries at rates that are higher than they've ever been before, and we already have a shortage of those here, especially medical personnel, because the medical profession is fostered by immigrants in Australia. Not entirely, but Australia requires on a high percentage of immigration in order to maintain the population and the supply and the demand chain. And so then when COVID happened, it was a hard border closure. You had the option if you were an immigrant to leave right when it started or you weren't leaving until they opened the borders, which ended up being a couple years later. So we had no option. So also people had no option to enter. So then when you have that attrition in these fields, you have people not having access to anything. Our, our public mental health system here to get to see a psychiatrist is a three-year wait list. Amazing. That's traumatic in itself. Yeah. I want to take it back a little. I'm curious. So do you specialize in children? And if so, what are the ages? And then I guess answer that question. But then I want to take it back. Is this the job that you came there for or you came for another role and then said, we're going to build a business out of this? Tell me a little bit how it got started. You know, yeah. how you, you know, not being there, doing the research and kind of just applying and yeah. then really targeting the population that you think you could help the most. Yeah. So me personally, my, my area of expertise has always been in trauma. Okay. And so then I've taken that and developed kind of a subspecialty in eating disorders because there was such an overlap between those two areas. Mm. When I first got into psychology, my specialty was children. So it was working with children with various types of trauma. And then I transitioned even into medical trauma. So I worked in the oncology hematology department at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles for a bit. Um, really found that work to be enjoyable, but I think it opened my perspective on longevity and what can I do in the long run that's not going to burn me out. Um, and I felt like the behind the scene politics and the bureaucracy of working in a hospital system wasn't going to be that. So then I branched back out more into the private sector. And then I moved into the, the couples therapy space, which is what brought me to Australia. So this job that we're doing now with the business is not why we came here. I came here, I worked in a group practice where there was a couple different offices, trained psychologists in this method of therapy uh, because there's not a lot of um, formal training programs in Australia for couples therapy. So it was just a, a niche that was needed. That was the intention was to work in the group practice for a couple of years and then potentially uh, branch out on my, on my own um, and maybe just kind of have an office with me, maybe expand. There wasn't really at that point, the vision of Paul being involved. He was still coaching. He was doing his athletic recruiting. Um, and then in 2019, it was about eight months after we got here, I got diagnosed with MS. And that kind of turned everything upside down for a bit. And it made everything a lot harder work-wise. I was commuting to work. Um, you know, I, I didn't have the energy levels that I was needing to do what I was doing. And so we had to start thinking differently. 
And fortunately, the person I was working with was really understanding of that because I had made a, you know, it was, it wasn't like a legally binding contract, but we had a good faith handshake of, I was going to come work in her business for a couple of years and, you know, help train some people up and get some things going. Um, And so this wasn't what she was prepared for either, but I just figured I needed to work less. I needed to work more efficiently and I needed to work closer to home. Well, is it stress one of the big triggers for MS? Yeah. So dealing with trauma. Build a business, they said. Yeah, so then we decided we should build a business. (laughs) Let's build a business and deal with trauma patients. (laughs) Why do these two, they just figure out how to manage their stress because they just load it on. Yes. Yes. I mean, you two are made for each other. I mean, because whoever the higher power is, has given you guys more challenges. And I've known, you know, I've known Paul for a long time, you know, and, and Julie, you and I haven't talked a whole lot, but I, I, you know, I, I've, I've kind of lived vicariously through Paul in what you guys have gone through. So what you've had to deal with and the challenges that you've accepted, I think are amazing. You both deserve yeah. your halos. So then you started this business. So you got together and said, we need to work differently. We need to think differently. How did you guys like start brainstorming this, this idea, this business? Yeah. Well, it was organic. Mm. I, because of my flexibility with um, my, my previous job, um, one of the things that was nice is I was able to take a little family leave time when Julie was diagnosed, because what does this all mean? And it was as simple as, can you help me make my website? I just don't want to make the website. And I said, I can do that. Can you help me with this? Very simple stuff while she was doing all the heavy lifting. But then there just came a point where, you know, we just looked at each other and it went, we went, why are we going to pay all these people to run your business? Mm. When I, for whatever reason, have accumulated enough just enough to be able to actually do all these things. Well, Paul's underselling himself too. He does have an MBA. So he, he's not just completely business naive. So he, he has that background. And just to cut in there, I had gotten a little admin, you know, mm-hmm. just someone to come work with me a few days a week. And then we were, it was right at the start because I opened the office on my own in, was it? February 2020. Mm. Oh my goodness. December 2019. Right there, huh? And so my first clients on the 5th of February. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. 2020. And so then really shortly after that, everything started shifting. Our admin had to step out because some of the COVID stuff was happening. And then they were putting in some guidelines here. And so Paul and I said, well, we'll just do this ourselves. And he then decided to not return to his job and to give his notice and to just come support the business um, for a bit while we figured it out. And we didn't know what that was going to look like because then COVID hit, you know, and the second they start locking everything down, all I'm seeing is, is SMS is coming in, cancel, 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 cancel. And we were just like, what is happening right now? And um, that part was a bit frightening. Yeah. I mean, one one thing that Australia does well is they support the they support the population through these types of things. So we had some strong financial backing to offset lost wages during 2020, mm, nice. which really helped keep everything going. But I was really fortunate that I had a strong client base already. A lot of them transferred over with me when I moved offices and branched out on my own. So I had a pretty solid client base that kept us going. Um, and then we got, we started talking and we'd been looking for commercial real estate. It's really hard to find real estate, um, where we were at and just kind of kept looking and, you know, Paul and I have been really blessed over the years that things just sent, tend to align when they're supposed to align. We also have learned that we can push as hard as we want to get them aligned when it's not the right time and it doesn't work, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but Yep. We had a, I had a clinician reach out to me and ask if I had any extra work and would want to bring someone on. And then I had an, you know, an admin from the place I'd worked before who happened to live locally reach out and say, Julie, do you happen to have any work? I'd love to come work with you. And in the middle of it all, because we've now 
had our office going for not quite two years. It will be two years in October. So this was all in 2021 when COVID was still really rampant here because we, with our lockdowns, we held it off, but we had the worst of it much later than everyone else once everything started opening up. And so we were like, this sounds like a great time to open a business, but let's do this where we have to sanitize after every person who walks in. And every time someone gets sick, we just have to cancel and I'm not really sure why we thought that was a great idea, but there was a need and yeah. the wait list. And you had to wear a mask, right? Everybody had to yeah. be masked. And as yeah. a therapist, that's got to be so hard on your patients when they can't see your facial expressions, right? Yeah. How, yeah. how did, did you go virtual at all at any point? Yeah. Still, still do a lot of virtual. Do you? Because again, it's a new normal. Yeah. Right. People have become acclimated to that. And if they are busy or not feeling perfect, they'll just, I just want to switch to telehealth. Happens all the time. Now, I know you said how hard it is. And Paul's told me many times how hard it is to find clinicians. And Mm -hmm. Paul's told me many times he wished he could clone you 10 times and it still probably wouldn't be enough. But how's it been finding therapists and clinicians that can do the work? Yeah, well, we take a bit of a different approach. We don't just advertise positions. I really have done a lot of research and I've researched clinicians and I reach out to them directly to present opportunities. So I know what I'm getting. Obviously you can't know entirely because of the nature of the work we do. I don't sit in the room with clinicians. So I have to get a feel for how do they talk to me about things? How does it feel to be conversational with them? And we've been, we've been really lucky. We have four other clinicians in the office right now. Two of them work with children, adolescents, and adults. And one does adolescents and adults and the other does adults. So we kind of have, and then we have me and I, I see everyone, but we have just kind of filled all the different niches. So when someone calls in, there's very few clients that we don't have someone who can treat them. That's and I great. think that's really helpful because it's, it's created a lot of brand loyalty and that will have people that it's like the mom sees this person and then their kids are seeing the other people. And, and we, we're, we do assessments because um, I have a neuropsych background. And so we kind of have all of these different areas, which for me, is great because I am a person who just loves learning. And anytime I seem to kind of stagnate from learning something, all of a sudden I'm just antsy and itchy and feeling discontent and going, what is happening? And it's been like that ever since I finished my doctorate. I think it was about 12 months later. I was like, what is this feeling? And I was just like, I need to learn something. So this, this business is allowing me that opportunity. That's great. That's really great. Now, to be fair, I, I'm trying to mansplain to her all the time, but she doesn't, she's not interested in that kind of learning, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I'm mansplain. Yeah, there's my wife for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> it's an odd thing. But that's secretly why we asked you on. Beth and I were hoping to get a little couples therapy. So there was- Yeah, a- <laughs> that's fine, but you're still getting an invoice, Matt. <laughs> we, we thought maybe we'd get away with some free, but we'll, we'll pay for it. We'll pay for it. Uh, Goodness. I, I've got a 10 and a 14 year old. So I, I'm, I'm interested in what you're seeing on your side of the practice. And, and what signs do you think parents need to be looking at with those adolescents and those teenagers, those high school years that maybe we don't see that, that we need to be more conscious of? Yeah, I, th- I think it's noticing changes in behavior changes in the personality, increased isolation, you know, having conversations. It's hard because our children, you know, 10 and 14. So your 14 year old has a phone. Yes. Unfortunately. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's hard with um, the way socialization happens because a lot of parents even talk to me about like, how am I supposed to punish my kid? I take away their phone and now I've socially isolated them. So it's very different when it comes to things like that because you're going, oh, my kid's struggling. They're having behavioral challenges. Is socially isolating them actually the most helpful thing because now I've taken away all of their resources. So I think it's just really important for us to have conversations with kids. 
because they're all going to have their struggles. But if we just keep having conversations with them, then they know you're there and they're more likely to come to you with their hard conversations. I feel like something that I've really learned since being here, because we are somewhat isolated in that we don't have a huge family network. We don't have our, you know, lifelong friends around us. So that means that we don't have a community for our children. I think that we have lost the importance of community for our kids because sometimes kids don't want to go say, Hey mom, Hey dad, this is happening but they'd love to go tell aunt Susie or they can go talk to the neighbor. Who's always let them come, you know, have a cup of hot chocolate and a chat after school. And I think that we need to make sure our children have access to supportive people because we're all so busy and we do, we don't have time and we've gotten far away from this community feeling of raising children. But I think it's to the detriment of our kids' mental health. I agree. I'm on the corporate side of things. And again, I experienced that from, I'm in HR. And so I think that advice is transferable. You know, again, I think the number one thing we had leaders were almost afraid or timid to ask when they saw the behavior change and more so they're just not themselves or not performing the way they did. And, you know, for me, I would just be like, well, have you asked them what's going on? You know, just, just intuitive to me, but there's, I think historically, if you look back, you know, many leaders were, were developed as keep it separate. You know, you can ask a little but you don't want to get too touchy and gosh, what if they cry? What do you do? You know, and, um, you know, there were so many conversations. I mean, my office virtually as well as in person. And then when it switched to virtually, I was just intentional about going out and reaching, especially I think to the underrepresented uh, in the U S we had such turmoil with like social unrest. Um, and I really think, a lot of you know minority populations were really just struggling on so many different levels and coming into work feeling like their weight the weight of the world's on their shoulders not only their families but you know just how they're just responding and feeling with things going on and I think what you said is just that behavior change like ask and take the time and care I mean I think it's great advice just holistically yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I think that some of that asking and changing, and I don't want everything to be related to COVID. It's just such a prevalent theme right now that really changed when COVID first came because everyone had so much fear. What you'd see is when you'd walk down the street, people were crossing the street, you know, not to be near you, but not only just crossing the street. Because without like, you know, a wave or a nod, it was like not making eye contact. Like people developed a fear of each other. Mm. And it was like, well, COVID's not transmitted by making eye contact. We could still smile at each other. But it was almost this like, I need to not make eye contact because I don't want to give someone permission to engage with me because I'm afraid that I could get COVID. And so then that became this pattern, which perpetuated the isolation and even the fear of reaching out and connecting. So yeah, just the idea of asking people, you know, are you okay? It's yeah. great starting. But, but what about the other side, Julie? What about those people that are so angry that they're going through this that they're just not going to put up with it anymore? I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get caught up in that stress, that anxiety. I feel like that's half of our world that's just saying, no, I'm not wearing a mask anymore. I'm not I'm I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna separate myself. I'm not going to live a different life than I, I'm going to live the way I have always lived. What, what are those people dealing with? Cause I, I you know, yeah. I, I wasn't one of those people. I, whatever my doctor told me to do, we did, you know? Yeah. So yeah. How, how, how are you dealing with that side of the community that just, just didn't want to deal with what was in front of them? Are you seeing a lot well, of that? Listen, it's, it's just a form of trauma. I think COVID is a global trauma that has impacted every person in one degree or another. And like any form of trauma, you know, trauma is not about the event. It's about how it impacts us and how we respond to it, which determines how pervasive a traumatic event is going to be for people. Mm -hmm. So I try to look at the human side of it and say, these are just people not knowing how to manage this this thing that feels so traumatic and they are angry and they just want to 
scream or deny it's happening because it's just like it feels intolerable and they just can't handle it anymore and they just want life to be resemblant of what they thought it was supposed to be so i try to view it from that lens because i think it's a little bit easier to have that compassion and understand that these are also just human beings suffering and when we're suffering you know we don't always engage in rational thinking it's really hard to think about everyone else's well-being when we feel like our world is exploding and i i just think it's trying to have compassion for both sides of it because so much of this has been divisive you know it's 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 them and us it's like oh what's your what's your opinion on vaccines or what's your opinion on masks and all of that and so it's it's pitted people against each other and I think we've lost the the humanism in it all. It's great. I mean, it's, it's great trauma. advice. Yeah, trauma is you know, trauma. You know, like just it, it is because we're we're all dealing with the same trauma. It's just how we're dealing with it and how we accept it and how we don't accept it. So I, I think it's really great advice and that that word compassion and having humility. You know, not don't think less mm -hmm. about yourself. Just think a little less about yourself. You know, don't mm -hmm. think about yourself so often, you know, think about what, what is that person across the way dealing with that maybe I'm not dealing with. So yeah. I love it. I think it's, I think it's great. And so I appreciate what you're doing, Beth and I appreciate it. That's a big reason we wanted to have you on. I just, um, we feel like everybody we've talked to in some shape or form, every conversation we've had, it doesn't matter who we're talking to, it's come back to mental health. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of been the centerpiece of everything we're talking about in terms of significance is we've been dealing with some significant trauma. We've been dealing with significant debate, um, people with significant uh, personality changes. And it doesn't matter what role you've had over the last five years, you've felt this and you've had to deal with it some way or shape or form. So we appreciate it. Well, thanks for the depth there. Go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, we, you know, we see um, so many more individuals locally, but I think you can relate it globally, um, that are also getting diagnosed, ADHD, ASD, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and I do think on a positive side that we're, we're entering into a time where there's a much broader understanding that these things exist. Mm. And what we see, because we're kind of in the beginning phases of it, and again, I'm not a clinician, but I, I'm going to see all of it by proxy, is, is, is how many people actually live with ADHD but don't know? Yes. How many people are somewhere on the spectrum or, or working with ASD but don't know, and the people around them don't know? And then also we come back and we go, hey, this person's been diagnosed, and this is how they see the world. And you, on the other side, need to adjust the way you think to be able to comprehend that, to be able to, be inclusive. to make, make, yeah, be inclusive, right? Right. That's going to take a lot of time, and sure a lot is. of effort, a lot of education. Yeah. And I wouldn't have had any idea about this five years ago. And now I just see it so often. Right. Very well-educated, well-put-together individuals who then... Well, actually, I've struggled with this my entire life. Right. Right. Yeah. It's always and, been there. Yeah. And it goes on the other side of, this, of, of that equation as well. And um, I do think that that will hopefully be a long term positive. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, but it has to be created through struggle. Yeah. Matt and I, you're spot on because Matt and I got introduced to a gentleman actually that Matt's going to start supporting. He's in Colorado, which is great. But, um, he started up a nonprofit around trying to get kids at a young age to recognize when they have that mm -hmm. and then get mentors. So recent college grads to be their mentor with executive functioning skills. Cause to your point, if you can learn the, the way to work around it, you know, like this is, you know, ADHD, AD, and again, obviously work with your doctor, but then to be able to build those executive functioning skills. How do you organize? How do you think differently? How do you read something? Like, how do you work with this as your normal? Um, so you yeah. can be super successful and not let anything get in your way. I mean, Matt and I were just impressed, but I think you're right. It's more and more prevalent because now we're talking about it and we're trying to do something with it. So, and I think there's a little bit of a shift now from what we've been doing before and that we would identify people who are neurodiverse mm -hmm. and try to teach them how to be more neurotypical 
Mm. rather than trying to say, how do we just create a culture that has space for people who are neurotypical and neurodiverse without anyone feeling like they should be something that they're not? And hey, there's one of the benefits where social media and all of this is actually helping because it gets the message out there. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, this is a fad. We're going, all of these people are getting diagnosed, but that's how diagnosing works because we get the research. We start seeing all of the errors of the past research. And then we have a whole group of people saying, well, hold on, I got overlooked. So right now you've got a lot of children being tested for autism and ADHD. And then you've got all of these questionnaires coming out and then looking at the parents and being like, so where'd this come from? And then the parents are going, I think it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think, don't you think Julie, we're getting to the point where there's no such thing as neurotypical anymore. I mean, isn't, Mm. isn't neurodiverse the the norm? Yeah. I mean, the older I get, the more I'm like, man, oh man, why, why can't I sit still? Why can't I sit at the dinner table for five minutes after we're done eating? Why do I got to get up and do dishes? Why do I, why can't I sit still? Why can't I focus? You know, there's, there's things that I've always struggled with, you know, and that's why sports was such a big role for me. Well, and you're looking at the change in life demands as well. So our society makes it so that we are expected to, you know, multitask, even though that's not really a thing. We should have all of these things we're doing at once. And so we are training ourselves to have shorter attention spans, to, you know, need to have multiple things happening at once, which is obviously going to change the the makeup and have a lasting impact. But then you also have people going, but I've been able to to manage okay throughout my life. And, And one of the hard parts is with like ADHD is yes, People develop natural coping strategies, but then as life demands get more difficult, those coping strategies don't work anymore. So if you are a person who did just fine as a young professional, and now you've got a couple kids and you're trying to manage your career, those demands are higher. So all of a sudden things start falling through the cracks. Hence why that later, you know, diagnosis is becoming more prevalent because life is putting so many more demands on people. Right. It's at some point you're, you're just teaching people that say, Let's just juggle one or two balls, you know, just put a couple of the other balls down, you know, you don't need to juggle eight balls at a time and it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's hard. But that mind doesn't accept that as a viable option or as an an acceptable option. Yeah. Yeah. It's trained itself to think differently. Right. And with that said, we thank you for being on today, but we want to have a little fun with you before we let you guys enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We got a little rapid fire for you. And, and you both can answer these questions or one of you can answer. It's up to you, but we, it's just stuff about you and things that in your comfort zone and advice. And, uh, and if you're ready, Beth will get us started and just answer from your heart. Kind of the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. All right. This will be expected of both of you to answer this. <laughs> What job would you do if it wasn't what you're doing? I'd be the I I'd own a sports franchise, or if I couldn't afford that, I'd like to be a GM of a sports franchise. And I'd be your assistant. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd take the job just for that reason. <laughs> oh, this one's a hard one. Um, I probably goodness, I'd probably be a psychiatrist. Only a slight shift. <laughs> <laughs> well, Going you, all the way there. <laughs> you kind of did all this later in your life, so this is your this is your thing. This is your passion. Mm. She right? she just doesn't want to tell you she would she'd be a pop star. You got to have a little 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 entertainment in your in your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, me read my own writing here um what would you tell your 21 year old self if you go back and you know you're finishing up college or you're starting your adult life what would, advice would you give to yourself relax you're not as cool as you think you are <laughs> yeah i i think it would be um just just trust yourself and care less about what other people think yeah 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 so what right now is your favorite book or podcast that you're re- recently listened to, you recently read, um, that you find significant that's just really impacting you in a different way? Mm. 
Um, I recently read Bittersweet by Susan Cain. Really loved it. Felt like um, she was talking to me. You know, one of those books where I, I'm a, I, I can't do online books. I have to do the hard book and I have my pen and my highlighter and, you know, <laughs> she's referencing songs. So then it turned into, I'm, I'm playing music. I'm, yeah. I'm listening to podcasts. Um, but I think it just spoke to this, like, she talks about like the bittersweetness of like feeling emotions so deeply, you know, and I that's think great. that's something that has been so relatable of just this even just these past five years have there's been so many bittersweet moments so that that would be it for me and your podcast of well, course well, yes. <laughs> yes. We, Religious. We, we appreciate the plug <laughs> that's be significant podcast beth cook matt rogers for the 80 people that are already listening we appreciate that <laughs> All right, Paul, maybe this one's good for you. What's your go-to comfort food that sh that kind of just brings you joy? Oh, it's pizza. <laughs> I was like, it's... if he says anything else but that, he's lying. I have a friend that literally, she's a connoisseur. I mean, anytime, all day, all night, if we walk by pizza, she's always go for pizza. She's like, it's pizza. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, it just is. It always has been. <laughs> <laughs> Great for that ticker of yours. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone's really excited about it. He doesn't even get that tone in his voice when he's talking about me. And then all of a sudden, pizza? Was, yeah. And, like, and it's always been, and it always will. <laughs> I'm sure like, you're I'm the top. Right. I'm sure you're the top five, Julie. We're good. <laughs> all right. What's your, do you each have a movie that you love that you've watched a hundred times that you go back to when you need a little joy or a little pick me up or. I'm not so much a joyful movie person. I'm a, I'm an emotive movie person. We'll take that so too. I, um, my, my movie is always going to be my life. Oh, it's a great movie. Michael Keaton. Is yep. that right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Love that Nicole movie. Kidman. Yeah. Great movie. All right, so if you were well, Paul's got one. Paul's got one too. I'll bring it in. Bring it in, movie. Oh no, mine mine is so cliche. It, it's really it's Shawshank Redemption. It's on everybody's list. Um, not mine. It, yeah, yeah, it's not mine. Either, Paul. <laughs> <You know. laughs> what I normally watch a lot of are terrible rom coms. That's what I love. Guilty pleasures. <laughs> and you have a favorite. Videos. Yes, and, and heartwarming animal videos. <laughs> I love the Paul uses media as like dopamine hits. He's like, just right. make me feel good. And I use it as emotional release, a place to be able to like get it all out. Right. So we don't have a lot of overlap. He's up here laughing. I'm downstairs crying. And then we come together. We both feel great. There you go. There you go. I love it. <laughs> I need it to end okay. I do a lot of emotional release, but if it doesn't end okay, I'm like, oh no, I can't. I gotta, no. <laughs> Too much of the world is doing that. I got to feel. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. All right. So if you were, and since you're over there, um, technically Commonwealth, if prime minister for a day in Australia, what's one thing you would change? I think for me, it would it would focus on um, more mental health education in the schools. I'd be looking at more early intervention, getting people to have these conversations with young people so that we can start this learning really young. Um, I think that we have a lot of talk about mental health like in the media, but a lot of times that's where it stops. People don't wanna do the hard yards to really educate businesses and schools and all of that and i think that the majority of what's going on has a direct correlation with mental health and so i think we have to start teaching young people that it's okay to talk about it there's nothing wrong with it this is a normal human experience so that then they speak up and we'll get help yeah yeah that's great and if from, from your mouth to these kids' ears, you know, I feel like I'm doing it every day in practices when I'm with teenagers is 
don't be afraid. Just say, I'm struggling. I don't, I don't have the answers. I, we got your back. We're here for you. You know, and I think we just need to keep having parents repeat that over and over again. You know, yeah, it's, it's great. All right. One piece of advice that you guys have gotten over the years that you want to share with our audience, you think is just, you kind of live by and it's, it's been good for you. It's been significant in your life. The work is the win. Mm. The job is not the win. The work is the win. You don't know when the job or whatever that is, that could be your project in school. That can be a sport you're involved in. It can be a group of friends, whatever the case is, it's the work that is the win, not just the job. Mm. Love that. And I, I would say, and, and that's not an original thought, but I just don't know who to attribute it to. Right. That's really stuck stuck with me. And and I would say, don't be hindered by fear. Take the mm -hmm. risk. Take the leap. Mm -hmm. You know, great great things happen when you take a leap of faith. I love it. And and I I think that we we've, we've lived that. Yeah. We've taken lots of leaps of faith, yeah. and sometimes the bottom hasn't been there when we leaped, so we had to get back up and brush ourselves off. But it's always led us to the leap that was supposed to happen. So. Yeah. those quotes you guys could have on the front page of your website and it'd be ideal you know but even with therapy is putting the work in you know be have, have faith that over time you can you can overcome yeah yeah the conversation this, this moment's temporary this feeling is temporary yeah it all will pass yeah don't don't fear the work either you know don't fear don't fear that the, the, the yeah. sharing i love it yeah yeah well Julian Paul, thank you for getting up on a Sunday morning and sharing your story and career with our with us and our audience. Um, the work you're doing um, and the obvious impact that you're having in your community and in Australia is is impressive. Um, I hope you find a way to, to clone each other and we can mm -hmm. have 10, 100 more of you. Um, thanks for sharing your wisdom. And, you know, we want to hear your updates. We want to hear what's going on with you guys and keep us keep us in the loop. But you know, Beth and I appreciate the time and everything you've given us today. Awesome. Thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks that was fun. Thanks for having us. Very cool. You Bye, guys. Have, have a, good... a great one. Talk to you soon. Okay, you right. too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, they're they're such a fun couple, Beth. I, I've, you know, I've known Paul, Paul and Julie for 13, 14 years. And, you know, but I I felt the depth of what they brought to the conversation and the experience they had. It's, it's, it's truly remarkable to me what they decided to do now, what they're doing with it, that they really didn't plan on doing. It's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? Yeah. And that's kind of where I saw that transition. You know, um, when Julie was telling us the story of like, okay, we think we want to do this. We've been talking about it for a while. It's always been a thing. You know, Paul had kind of this love in Australia when he was, you know, in his early twenties. Um, and then they just decided to investigate. And that's why I was like, well, how did you get to your own business? And it's so amazing. Like yeah. just even though like the ups and downs of what brought them there, I love, I love the advice, right? Both of them put in the work. Don't be afraid of the work. Or he specifically said the work is the win. Um, yeah. And then Julie's like, don't be afraid, you know, to, to try, take the risk, you know, and again, my paraphrase. Um, but I think that's right. I mean, the, the amount of impact these two individuals are having on their community and hopefully it can continue to scale. So, you know, hopefully more and more clinics pop up with, you know, the right level of leadership, the right level of empathy, the right level of dedication um, to help more and more, uh, just fantastic. I mean, I this is an area of concern both for youth and adults. I see it in the corporate world, you're seeing it a lot in, in youth. Um, these guys are great and they're fun. You know, they yeah. just cool with it. They don't get too um, caught up in the minutia of, you know, what if I fail? What if it doesn't work? What if they're just like, just, we'll figure it out. It, it'll all work out. And that's fantastic. Well, I think that's really cool about this journey you and I have gone on with the podcast. I mean, we're talking to people that are the highest level in corporate America. We're talking to doctors, we're talking to psychiatrists, we're talking to therapists. And, and we walk away feeling they're just the normal person trying to do as good a work as they can. And yeah. they're fallible and they're accountable. And so I'm, I'm really pleased that we got to share these two with whoever 
ends up listening to this because I think they're going to take good things away. And I hope they take away the fact that, you know, not, not be as scared to go ask for help, not be scared to go get some therapy. It's, it, I know it's so taboo. And I know I grew up at, you know, taboo. My wife grew up, it's kind of taboo, but I think the more we, we talk to somebody that is a professional and can have that high level conversation with us and just help guide us through it. You know, we, 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 Talk to Kat Margulis, how important she was in me writing. And she got me through, you know, I was just in my own way, mm-hmm. you know? So when we talk to people that really know their stuff, what that can do with us, and we just have to be unafraid to ask for that help. So well, that was great. Another, um, common theme amongst all the people talk about, not only, you know, in the, in the categories you mentioned, but everyone had to go through an adventure and every adventure had an obstacle, right? And and either you say, I really think I want to do this. So you charge in and go for it and take in all the good and the bad, or you f- ultimately you figure that out because you don't charge in and it still keeping coming back to you and then you have to figure it out. So I think, you know, the stories are get help if you need it. Um, be, don't be afraid to talk about it, but also again, um, it's part of life. Enjoy every moment of it and, you know, do what you love. You don't want to be miserable eight to 10 to 15 hours a day. If you're doing a job that you're not in love with, find something you love and get after it. So yeah, great interview, Matt. Great advice, Beth. And we'll, we'll end on that. Um, for all of you, thank you again for, for listening to our podcast. Thanks for being on be significant. Um, you can find our podcast email in the notes section. We'd love to hear from you at B significant number four, letter U, B significant for you at gmail.com. Um, we welcome you to follow us on Apple or Spotify uh, podcast platforms. And, and, and don't forget to click that subscribe button. We're going to try and have, um, we've got about eight to 10 guests already we've either interviewed or in the queue. We're going to have um, great guests coming up. We've got some remarkable people that we're going to have through August and September that are already on our schedule that you're going to love um, hearing from and talking to. Um, And we hope that you continue to keep that mindset that Julie and Paul um, left you with. The work is the win. Don't be hindered by fear. Don't let life happen to you. Make it happen. And we hope you continue to have a significant week and we'll see you next time. 